You are welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihiagwa. Be stirred as you listen. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, because you revealed yourself to us in your Son. Thank you, Jesus, because... Thank you, Father, because your word is true in our lives. Lord, tonight, as we look to the word, we are corrected, we are instructed, we walk in your plan as instructed in the word. Father, we love, we honor, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' awesome name, we have prayed. And the church types, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight, we're going to continue what we have been looking at. We're going to continue what we've been looking at. We've been looking at living by revelation. All right. We've been looking at living by revelation. And it's something that is... It's a topic that we've talked about. You know, we've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about lordship. You know, we've talked about what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? How is Jesus Lord? You know... We've talked about what his lordship means, you know, our response to the revelation of the fact that he is Lord. What does he mean for the believer? Okay, then we've looked at um, forgiveness. We looked at the fact that last week forgiveness is a present day reality for the believer. Forgiveness is not something that the believer Forgiveness is not something that the believer renews like a subscription. Okay, forgiveness is something that the believer has in christ is a present day possession is something that he always has with him so the believer is not will be forgiven the believer is not was forgiven the believer is forgiven okay the believer is forgiven is who he is in christ so you know we explained that forgiveness is the present day reality in christ and we've been looking at um, a few things and one of those things that we've been looking at is how one of those things we've been looking at is how Christ has, um, what the, the things that Christ has done, what it implies for the believer in his everyday life. So, you see, um, the Bible is practical. The Bible is not just a book that tells you what to do. The Bible explains why you do it. So, for example, going to Lordship. We explained how Jesus is Lord, you know, by his death, by his burial, by his resurrection. We got to understand that he is called Lord. By his death, burial, and resurrection, he earned the right to be called Lord. And because he was called Lord, um, we respond to him in a certain way. His words bear more weight for the believer because he is called Lord. Because he is called Lord, his words bear more weight for the believer. So the lordship of Jesus is, is encompassed in one thing, and that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so these are a few things that we've looked at, you know, and we looked at how what forgiveness means for the saints in Christ. That the believer's sins, they were not just forgiven, you know. The believer's sins are forgiven past, present, future. And because the believer is forgiven, there is nothing else the believer cannot forgive. Okay? Because the believer is forgiven, there is nothing the believer cannot forgive. So the man, you know, last week I, I explained to us, I said, it is a paradox for a believer to be unforgiving. Because if you have been forgiven all, <clears throat> why will you be unforgiving? Okay, I said that again. If you have been forgiven all, then there is no reason to be unforgiving. So, our response to what Christ has done, our response to what Christ has done is what propels us to act in a certain manner. The believer's code of conduct, the believer's code of conduct is not just, is, is intelligent. Let me put it that way. The believer's code of conduct is intelligent. Why do we forgive? We don't just forgive because we are nice people. No, we forgive because Christ has forgiven us all. 
Why do we respond to Jesus in a certain way? We respond to him because he is Lord. How do we know he's Lord? Because he paid the price. He died and he rose from, his, from the dead. And in his resurrection from the dead, his lordship is taken into account. So we know that in his death, burial and resurrection, the man in Christ was bought back. He was redeemed, Apollotrusis. He was gotten from the place of sin and death. And in our buying back from sin and death, we get to understand that um, Jesus, we get to understand what Jesus had done for us, and then we respond to him that way. Because the one who brought us back is our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So um, today I'm gonna be teaching on a topic I've been quite interested in myself. And I I've been quite excited about it. Today I'm gonna be teaching on Okay, by the end of the message, you'll probably get my topic, but I'm, take, I'm, uh, I'm talking on love. Love. <clears throat> so, one thing that we get to know that I've said over and again is the gospel houses the nature of God. I say that again. The gospel houses the nature of God. What do I mean by this? I mean this by, I mean, what I mean by saying this is, in the gospel, you see the clearest revelation of the person of the Father. Okay? In the gospel, you see the clearest revelation of the person of the Father. So, and that's because the gospel is centered around one person, and that is Christ. So, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, in the gospel, the justice of God is clearly seen. <clears throat> in the gospel, the justice of God is clearly seen. And what do I mean by this? In the gospel, we see God's fairness, that if anybody does not believe, he is damned. But if anybody believes, he is saved. Why is a man who believes, why, why is it that a man who believes is saved? A man who believes is saved because of one thing. And that one thing is this, because if he believes in what Jesus has done, his sin that he was supposed to die for, and it, another person has taken it into account. So that person has given up his life. For that sin okay that person has given up his life for that sin but then when we look at um when we look at the unbeliever who refuses to believe in what jesus has done he's going to bear the brunt of his sin so we also see in the gospel that man could not pay for his sin so god had to pay for the sin man could not save himself god could not die so god became a man so that he will die and pay for the sins. Okay. Because we understand that Jesus was truly God and truly man. As much as it is that he was God, is a, as true as it is that he was God rather, is as true as it is that he died. That he was a man. Because we see he was hungry, he was, uh, he was hungry, he was tired. And how do we know he was God? We understand that it's not just the working of miracles. One thing, he rose from the dead. We see that he forgave sins. That's one thing that really points to the deity of Christ. The fact that Jesus forgave sins. Okay? So in seeing all these things, one thing we get to understand, or a picture we get to paint, is this. Is that Jesus, being God, reveals the nature of the father and then the gospel houses the nature of god from the gospel you can see the justice of god you can see the mercy of god you can see the benevolence of god in the gospel you can see the love of god so that is why i like saying this any nature of god that is not seen in the gospel okay any nature of god that is not seen in the gospel is adverse to who god is any nature that cannot be put side by side with the nature of God as, as viewed in the gospel is questionable. So let me give an instance. When we look at the gospel and we see how um, God expects us to just believe to be saved. Okay. Any other thing that tells you that you have to, you have to earn something to be something with God is wrong because when we put it pari side by side the gospel it does not hold water okay it is in the gospel that we get to see that god this god being kind became everything that we could not be so we will become everything that he is hallelujah let me say that again it is in the gospel that we realize that this god being kind became everything we could not became everything we were so that we could be everything he is
Okay? So, God became a man so that man could have a status with God that was godlike. Better still, because we get to understand that we are joint heirs with him. So, in the gospel, we see God's kindness. We see God's goodness. And for example, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews also, it says that God, um, if he spared not his son, what else, how much more? All these other things. If he spared not his son but gave him to us freely. How much more all these things? So if God gave his son freely. Why do you believe that you have to sow up to go up? Can I say that again? If God gave you his son freely. You know I'm talking of um, putting the gospel side by side revelations. Okay. If God gave you the gospel freely he gave you his son freely why do you think that you have to sow up to go up because if you put that side by side the gospel it will not hold water because the kindness and the benevolence of god is free to all mankind is free to all men this god being good gave himself freely so that if we just believe we will be his so also, what makes us think that to access things that he did? Now, bear in mind that the greatest demonstration of, of the goodness of God is seen in the resurrection of Christ. Okay? It's seen in the giving of Christ. It's seen in him coming to die. That is the greatest expression of his goodness. So, if that is the greatest expression of his goodness, all these other things that pertain to life, like, you know, God providing, um, God providing natural, material things. God giving those things. Why do we then think we have to do something? The only way we have to do something to earn it, in quote, is if those things weigh more than Christ in the grand scheme of things. Hallelujah. Are, are you being blessed? Are you, are you learning something? Hallelujah. Okay. So, um, tonight, I'm going to start from a very popular verse that... If you go on evangelism, if you don't go on evangelism, you should actually. You should. It's a biblical command. If you don't go, you should repent and go. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to start from a popular verse that if you go on evangelism, even the Muslim will quote it to you. You know, I think I heard someone say that he went on evangelism and um, the Muslims told him, I know what you want to say, John three sixteen, and he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, that's it. But not exactly, okay? Not exactly. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Simple. But John 3.16, And for God so, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? So a couple of people, when they read that John 3, they say, should. It means that he's not supposed to perish, but he can perish. Not exactly. If you read it in the original, that should is not there. So it's actually, for whosoever believes in him, not perish. Meaning, if you believe in him, perishing is taken out of your account. I will never perish. Why? I believe in him who has life. Hallelujah. I will never perish because I believe in him who has life. So let's go there. John 3, 16. You see, the word, um, so, the word so loved, or the word so, rather. The word so, um... I learned this from my pastor. He said, you know, when you see the word so, usually it, it means, it speaks to quantity. So you say he had so much water. He had so much money. The girl was so pretty. Um, he was so happy. You know, when you see it that way, that is what it usually sounds like. But if you need to understand that... Um, the Bible English is not today's English. KJV is not even... KJV's English is the English of, of the 16th century. Okay? It's the English of the 16th century. The KJV Bible was written in 1601, I believe. It was, it was not the English of today. So when you read it, you need to understand that there is a particular way or mode of communication that language had at those times. There's a particular mode of communication that language had. So, the word so was not talking of quantity. The word so was talking of manner. Okay? So, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world, the word there is hutu, which actually means in this manner or thus. 
you know god in this way demonstrated his love for the world let me read it with that translation in mind he says for god in this manner loved the world so this is how god demonstrated his love for the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life this is how god demonstrated that love by giving up of him of his son okay that is how he demonstrated that love go to um romans chapter 5 romans chapter 5 before we turn there i just feel to say this you see i i have learned something and god had been teaching me something and one thing was never be too familiar with the word of god never be too familiar with the word of god that's one thing that makes people lazy in bible study being familiar with the word of god makes people lazy in bible study it makes people lazy in teachings it makes people lazy with the things of god it makes people not um be blessed by the word as much as they should be the reason is because you see when you've heard something again and again and even when you know it you see when you are in meetings you enter with an instructor mindset rather than listening for the word of God to bless you. There's something I always say. The word of God is nobody's earthly father's property. So when it is being taught, you sit down and you listen. Because the truth is this. Even if you are the one that wrote those notes, if you listen, I, you know, um, on the website, niministries.org slash resources, listening to, my, to the things I taught, they bless me again. I hear myself say things and I'm in awe. Do you get this? Why? Because the word of God is not, in, it was not inspired by me. It was, holy men were inspired as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it was the counsel of God, rightly divided, that was put down. Okay? It was put down. So when I listen to the word of God, even something as in quotes, whatever this means, in quotes, basic as um, salvation. Salvation is not basic, it's a big deal. But permit me to say that. Something as basic as that. When I listen to someone teach it, he blesses me. Even if someone comes to evangelize to me and he rightly teaches the gospel, he blesses me. Because he reassures me of, of the, the, the life that I have in Christ. The fact that I will never die. The fact that I will not perish. It is a truth that is ever exciting. It warms my soul. Why? Because the word of God is not mine. It is things like this that make people actually not grow. Because when they begin to read the word of God, they say, oh, I know this. I've read this before. I've read it. You know, I've heard someone say things like he has read the Bible. Where, what else is he reading again? Go and read six and seven book of Moses. What do you mean by you read the Bible? Sit down and read. Read again and again and again. Has this happened to you before? You know, you read an epistle. You read an epistle, you've read it before, you read it again. Maybe you read it last week, you felt led to read it again. And as you keep reading it, maybe you are like me, you mark your Bible. As you keep reading it, you now mark your Bible again. Because you realize that, wow, I didn't see this before. This blesses me. You realize that there's something you've read a thousand times, but when you read it, it just latches onto your heart. Because you're like, this blesses me deeply. That is how your relationship should be with the word of God. Never be familiar with the word. Always allow the word of God bless you. Always allow the word of God bless you. Okay? So, because you see Paul said something in 1 Thessalonians 3, I believe it's 10. He says, for to me, to say the same, the same things to you is not grievous, but for you it is safe. I said this again that um, repetition, the safety of, it, of the disciple lies in the repetition of the message. In a lot of people's bid to try to sound unique, in a lot of people's bid to try to say something that nobody has ever said before, they get into error. They get into error. You see, I heard a man of God say something amazing. <clears throat> he said, if, if you bring up an argument about the word of god that the church in over two thousand years of existence has never brought up before <clears throat> excuse me nothing is wrong with the church everything is wrong with you because if you read through church history if you read through revivals if you read through all these things you get to realize that there is no argument that that has come up today that has not come up before Arguments of um, free will and God's sovereignty. Arguments of grace and works. Arguments of assurance of salvation. All those arguments, they've always come up before. They've always come up before. 
But can I tell you something? The word of God is true. It has the answer to all these arguments. So they've always come up and they've always been quelled by the word of God. Okay, so when the word of God is being taught, open your heart, allow the word bless you. And let me tell you something, I've listened to many messages that probably taught and I heard someone teach it and I've been instructed by it. And as soon as I heard it, I said, hmm, I'll begin to do this. I'll begin to do this. I remember what is being taught, so I will act in accordance. I will not just be a hearer of the word, I will be a doer, I will allow the word bless me. Uh, that um, deviation is probably for someone. Okay, that deviation is probably for someone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so uh, let's go on. Please, can you do me a favor? Can you share the link to your statuses, to your friends, to your family? Tell them to tune in. The word is going to bless them. Let's go on. And Romans chapter 5. Yeah, that's what I said. Romans 5 from verse 6. Look at what it says. Now, Romans 5 verse 6 is explaining John chapter 3 verse 16. It says, for when we were yet without strength. Can you see this? It says, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, glory to God. When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. Who is that ungodly? It is you, it is I. Christ died for you and I when we were yet without strength. You see, if there's one thing you, get, you have to understand in this series is this. You know, every time I've been teaching, I've always gone back to the gospel. Why? Because if you want to see God clearly, you will see him in Christ. And Christ is basically, the, the nature and the love of God is basically summarized and seen in the gospel. And then, if the believer sees God clearly, the believer will be able to act rightly. Okay? If the believer sees God clearly, the believer will be able to act rightly. And that is why I always go back to the gospel. Because it is in this that we clearly see who God is. Praise Jesus. Let me go on. Look at verse 6. It says Christ died for the ungodly. Who is this ungodly? It is you, it is I. Uh, I think um, I heard someone say this. He said the ungodly here means the criminal. You see... It meant the criminal. We were not deserving of the love and the death that Christ had. But yet he went there anyway. He went there anyway. Do you see this? He says, look at verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, paraventure, for a good man, some will even dare to die. Look at verse 8. He says, but God. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say, but God. I love that part. He says, but God. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Scarcely. It means for a righteous man, some people will not even want to give their life. Talk less of for a sinner. For a good man, some will even dare, you know, some may try. He says, but then he interjects here. Because man could not do it. So he now says, but God. Say, but God. He says, but God commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says, but God commendeth. What that means is, um, the word commended there basically lets us understand that this is how God presented his love. This is how God presented. And the word, the word basically means this is how he presented it. This is how he presented it. Okay. But God commended. But God presented his love for us. He presented his love for us. He says, for his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Can I say that again? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So the cross is basically the demonstration of the love of God. Look, go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Go to verse 12. Verse 13, rather. Verse 13. Are you there? This is Jesus speaking now. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Do you see this? This is basically, I believe Paul was quoting Jesus when he said this. You know, He says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. This is just like what Paul said in that Romans 5, 7. He says, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Okay? 
But it's a greater love had no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Hallelujah. Jesus laid down his life for me. Oh, Bore came in a high. Jesus laid down his life for me. This was his demonstration of love. He said, greater love had no man than this. So this is how he demonstrated that love. When nobody else could, the Bible says, but God. Are you with me? He says, but God. So this is how God demonstrated that love. This is how God demonstrated that love. So one thing you need to understand is this. If I ask you, how does God, you know, I've seen a lot of people in the midst of excitement and jubilation. They Maybe you got a new car, you got a job, you know, God came through for you on that student visa, you know, awesome stuff happened for you, you know. And then I've heard a lot of people in the midst of that say things like, um, ha, God loves me, you know. They say, God loves me, or then in demonstrating for somebody else, they'll say, God loves you, you know. And all those things. But this, these things actually reveal the ignorance that we have. Because God's love is not tied to circumstances. Are you with me? God's love is not tied to circumstances. God's love is not tied to situations. God's love is clearly demonstrated and revealed in the cross. So when you think of, when you want to think of God's love, you know, when you want to think of God's love, God's love is not seen in um, what, what, what is working or what is not working in your life. God's love is not seen in the car you are driving. God's love is not seen in the opportunities the Lord, the Lord is bringing your way. God's love is seen, alright? God's love is seen in the cross. It's seen in how he paid the price for our sin. Praise Jesus Christ. God's love is seen in how he paid the price for our sin. That is where God's love is seen. Okay? The Bible lets us understand in 1 John 2. 2. It says that he is the propitiation of our sins. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So, as much as God loves you, God loves the unbeliever. And how he demonstrated that love is in the cross. The cross is the visual representation of the love of God. It is the death, the sacrifice of God, of Jesus. The blood, in quotes, of Jesus is the representation or the description of the love of God. Hallelujah. So next time when you say, oh, God loves me, you are not looking at what is working. Can I tell you something? The truth is the Bible says in this life you will face temptation. You will face trials. There are times when things will not work. Paul said things like, you know, whether I abase or I abound, you know, he said, whether I abase or abound, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whether in plenty or whether in few, he knew how to rejoice in the Lord of his salvation. Why? Because the truth is the love of God is not seen in the opportunities or the material things he brings my way. The love of God is seen in his sacrifice on the cross. Love is seen in sacrifice. Love is seen in sacrifice. Love is seen. Do you know what it means that God became a man for you? Oh, Bele Makaya. Do you know what it means that God became a man for you? God became a man. God, the resurrection became a man. The giver of life became a man. Imagine you created a, an app. Okay? You created an app. You updated it. It has bugs and all those things. Then you as the creator, you know, um, logic lets us understand that a creator has to be higher in value and quality than its creation. Okay? So, um, basically, God is higher in quality and value than this corrupt flesh. The Bible says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he became sin. Who knew no sin? So, God became a man. That is beautiful. If nothing else, that should make you rejoice. If nothing else, that should make you not doubt the love of God. So, you see a lot of people say, I'm depressed. How do I know God loves me? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He didn't just be a man. He died for you. He didn't just die. He rose for your justification. Hallelujah. He loves the believer. He loves the saint. He loves the sinner. The difference between the saint and the sinner is not the love of God. The difference between the saint and the sinner is one has accepted his love. One has not yet accepted his love. Okay? One has accepted his love. One has not yet accepted his love. But both are loved by this same God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you see, 
anytime you rejoice, anytime things are not working, anytime, can I tell you something? If God does not give us any other thing again, if God does not hear any other prayer for things, if God does not do any other thing in our lives, the cross is enough. Ah, Harley, that's, 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 that's something that should be on the shirt. The cross is enough. If God does not do any other thing for us, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. Okay? So, you see this. The line between revelation and application is growth. Let me say that again. The line between revelation and application is growth. i say that one more time. The line between revelation and application is growth. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord Jesus. That is the line. So, you know, we read John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then, you have to go to this. Go to 1 John 3, 16. 1 John 3, 16. Same author. Are you there? It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Hereby perceive with the love of God. The word perceive is genosco. It means to come to learn. It says, Hereby perceive with the love of God. We have come to know the love of God. We've seen the love of God. How? Because he laid down his life for us. Are you with me? Because he laid down his life for us. We perceive the love of God in him laying down his life for us. And you know, this is actually how the Bible even expects husbands to love their wife. But that's talk for another day. He says, Hereby perceive with the love of God that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for who? For brethren. For brethren. Do you see this? So, we don't just rejoice and revel in the fact that he laid down his life for us. We also lay down our lives. And what does this mean? We love the brethren. We love the saints. You see, the same grace that he extended to us. Listen to this carefully. The same grace that he extended to us, we extend it to other saints. Hallelujah. Say this to yourself. The same grace that he extended to me, I extend to other saints. The same grace that he extended to me, I extend to other saints. You see, the, 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 the linking point between John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16 is growth. Is growth. You don't just say, oh, God loves me. No. Because God loves you, you commend. You demonstrate that love to others as well. You demonstrate that love to others how? As well. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 22. You know, thinking of the message, putting this together, the Lord just quickly put this to me and it was very beautiful. Matthew chapter 22. Glory to God. I hope you are being blessed. I hope you are learning something. I hope you are being instructed. Matthew 22. Look at verse 36. Now, they asked, they asked Jesus. They asked him. He said, Master, what is the great commandment in what is the great commandment in the law? Another rendering say, What is the greatest commandment in the law? You know. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38. Jesus said, This is the first and great commandment. He says, The second is like unto it. He says, Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. He says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, a lot of people have tried to do gymnastics with this particular verse, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. Is they now say you must know how you love yourself. Then, or better still, we've heard people say things like the Bible does not say um, love your neighbor more than yourself. It says love your neighbor as yourself. That's just that's just that's just um, um, lack of love trying to find expression. When you try to explain away what the Bible is trying to say, you. You are, you are just trying to feed your flesh an opportunity to walk in darkness. 
Can I say that again? When you try to explain away instructions in the word of God, you are trying to feed your flesh an, an opportunity for expression. Okay? So, this is what the Bible says. Jesus said, he said, on these two things hang the law and the prophets. So, if you're going to summarize Genesis to Malachi, all the teachings, all the everything, yes, it's going to be Christ, and all, but the aim of it all was what? You will love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the next one is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Have you not seen the Ten Commandments? The, the first one was, thou shalt love the um, You shall have no other God before him. And all those things. Then he now goes down and now says, you shall not covet your, your, your friend's wife. You shall not murder. You shall not this. You shall not that. These things were speaking of your relationship with God and then your relationship with other people. Because this was the focus. This was what the law was trying to achieve. And this is what Jesus summarized. You love the Lord your God. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Another translation calls it the golden rule. Okay? Go to, hold this thought in mind. Go to Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Look at what Jesus said here. Jesus said, He said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the law and the prophets find fulfillment in me. The law and the prophets find fulfillment in me. And I'm going to come to that. So Jesus came to the law. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. How do I mean? Keep reading. Um, Romans chapter 8. Go to Romans chapter 8. Verse 3. Look at what he says. He says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Okay? He says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his son to do it. So, what Jesus was trying to summarize... What Jesus was trying to summarize when he said, um, you know, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. When he said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it, the law finds expression in him and things like that. Basically, what Jesus was saying is this. The summary of the law was love your Lord, love your neighbor. And then Jesus now said, I did not come to do away with those things. Those things actually find fulfillment in me. Those things find fulfillment in me. He says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak. He said, God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. So the law of sin and death, which is man will keep trying to do and do and do and will never be able to do, will never be able to meet up. Okay, man trying to meet up with all these things and he will never be able to meet up. These things found expression and found fulfillment in God and by extension in the believer. How do I mean? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. Are you there? Are you there? Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10. Uh, yeah. Okay. So he says, For this is the covenant. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Now you need to understand the writer of Hebrews was speaking with prophecy. Okay. He was speaking with prophecy. And he said this. He said, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their minds and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Okay. So basically this verse, this verse finds the fulfillment in, in, in the believer. What Jesus did, or the prophecy of Jesus, okay, or when Jesus said the law found fulfillment in him, what Jesus meant by that was simple. That the law, basically, the law was um, 
trying to meet up a standard. He was trying to walk that standard in man. But man was weak. Man could not meet up to that standard. Man could not meet up to the standard that Jesus tried, that the Lord tried to work up in man by himself. Because these were regulations. But then man had a new regulator that helped him meet up with that standard. Hallelujah. The believer is not struggling to walk in the nature of God. You see, when I tell you these things about the nature of God, I'm not just telling you how you should behave. I'm telling you who you are. So the regulator at work on your inside, which is the Holy Ghost, you know, the writing of the law on your heart, I will, I will give them a new heart and a new spirit will I put within them. That is the Holy Ghost. So the believer finds expression or the life of God in the believer finds expression because of the spirit within. So the believer can demonstrate the love of God. Yes, he can because he has the spirit within. What the law could not do in that it was weak, Christ did it for us. Hallelujah. What the law could not do in that it was weak, Christ did. And he, why, how did he do it? He condemned sin in the flesh. Look at um, Romans 8, 4 now. He says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Hallelujah. Are you there? He says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the righteousness of the law was condemned in our lives because of what Christ did. So we are enabled to walk as Christ did. Praise Jesus. We are enabled to walk as Christ did. 1 Peter 4, 8. First Peter 4, 8. And as we begin to round up. Look at what Peter says. He says, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. The word charity in KJV here means love. He said, have burning love among yourself. For charity covers a multitude of sins. Listen, a believer who walks in bitterness is walking in contradiction. And if you consistently walk in contradiction, you're going to limit God in your life. Not because of he can't move, but because you're, you're not going to be able to press on because of that contradiction in your life. A believer who consistently walks in contradiction is going to limit God in his life. So this is what Peter says. He says, have fervent love amongst you. He says, for love covers a multitude of sins. If you don't allow love guide guard your heart, you will pick offense with people and you will never forgive them. People have offended me and people have hurt me deeply. But I have again and again, I see myself forgiving. And every time that happens, I realize that this is not me. This is what Christ has done in me. This is what Christ has done in me. Child of God, you have malice with someone. You're not walking in love. Last week, we talked on forgiveness. The two are not separate. You're not walking in love. You're not walking in love. You have anger. You have bitterness. You have hatred against someone. Child of God, you're not walking in love. If you read Matthew chapter 18 from verse 21 to verse 35, you know, we see the parable of the unforgiving servant. There was a servant who was not forgiving. All right. The servant was very unforgiving. And when the servant being unforgiving to someone, to his master, he was owing his master some amount of money. His master forgave him. Somebody else was owing him significantly less money. And then he grabbed him by the throat and said, today you will pay me. And then he threw him in prison. And when the master heard of it, the master was furious. You can read it later, Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35. Basically, when you see that, Oh, God loves me. He does not just confer. He does not just speak about the love of God. He confers a responsibility of love you also have to others. Can I say that again? And you see that God loves you. He does not just speak of the love of God. He confers a responsibility of love you have to others. Praise Jesus. You see, I'll tell you a little story. When I was in, when I was in 100 level, I believe, um, I used to, you know, check up on my friends, check up on them and stuff. And then in my mind, I used to be like, but these guys are not coming to my room when I was in school. I said, these guys are not coming to my room. They're not checking me. They're not checking up on me, but I'm be the one that's always going to them. You know, I think personally, our parents, they, you know, that thing that they told us, why are you always go visiting them? They never come to visit you. You know, that thing. I think he played a, 
a soft role in our hearts. But that's by the way. Um, that's why you need to renew your mind. Every time I realized, I would just be saying, these guys are not coming to visit me. I will not go and visit them again until they come and visit me. And I realized that you're not, with, you're not loving people because they love you. You are loving people because it is who you are. I said that again. You are not loving people because they love you. You are loving people because it is who you are. Every time that thing happened to me, you know what I did? I would just say that, in fact, for every time that thought came, I would go and visit somebody that has not visited me. I will go and check up. Even if this guy, how you doing now? I've not seen you in a while. I will go and visit that person and check up on the person. You see, when I see a lot of people say things like this, and they say, uh, you don't even check up on me. What, what do you mean? You, did you check up on me? And when do we start doing competition of who is checking up on who? Personally, I'm disgusted when everybody sent me a message. You just forgot me. Please, please, stop that nonsense, please. We are adults here. Don't do that. You know? Check up. You don't wait to love people. You don't wait for people to love you before you love them. Love them because it is who you are. You are a product of love. Child of God, you were born of love. So also, you cannot but love. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has offended you and somebody has offended you and you are pained but you still love the person? It is the walking of the spirit and it is who you are. It is who you are. Child of God, it is who you are. It is who you are. You see, love is such a strong thing, okay, that the Bible lets us understand something. It says, the believer, it is such, love is so strong that it is a litmus test in this our kingdom. It's a litmus test in this our kingdom. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Are you there? Look at this. Look at this. Verse 16. It says, and we know. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God had to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. Do you see that? It says, God is love. And he that dwelleth in God dwelleth in love he that dwelleth in uh, love dwelleth in God and God is in him so what this means is love is a litmus test the believer who does not walk in love is walking in contradiction you are walking contrary to who you are okay let's read on look at what it says it says um, verse 17 herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Do you see that verse? A lot of people have used that verse to mean as he is, so am I. As he walked miracles, so I do. As he cast out devils, so I do. As Jesus was never stranded, so I'm never stranded. I understand what you mean, but calm down. The context, the what this verse was saying when he says as he is, so am I in this world. What it means is one simple thing. The context of this is what? Love. As Jesus loves, as the Father loves, so he loves. So when you say as he is, so am I in this present world. What that means is love. As he loves, so you love. Can I tell you something? I cannot harbor unforgiveness in my heart. I cannot harbor bitterness in my heart. I cannot hate someone. Because it is not who I am. It is not who I am. It is not who I am. Praise Jesus. Let's, let's read on. Look at this, verse 19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. We love this God because he loved us first. Look at verse 20. It says, if a man say, look at this, look at this. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. It says, for he that loveth not his brother, whom he had seen, how can he love God? Whom he had not seen. Look at 21. He says, And this commandment have we from him, that he who love who loveth God loves his brother also. You guys will have to give me five more minutes to wrap up this teaching. I don't want to end it abruptly. You have to give me five more minutes, please. He says, He says, He who, if you don't love your brother who you can see, how will you say 
that you love this God. How can you say it? It means that you are a liar. Love is a litmus test for the believer. Can I say that again? Love is a litmus test for the believer. The believer who does not walk in love does not love God. Or at best is ignorant. Because if you cannot love God who you can see, who, if you cannot love your brother who you can see, how would you say you love God who you cannot see? If you cannot express the same love you, that has been revealed to you, how do you then say that you understand the love of God? The believer who does not walk in love does not know God. I'll say that one more time. The believer who does not walk in love does not know God. I said that last time. The believer who does not walk in love does not know God. He says if you hate your brother, if you hate your brother, then, if you hate your brother, then um, you, you are in darkness. Are you, are you guys with me? Are you guys with me? In this same first John, turn your Bible, turn your Bible to first John 2. First John 2. Look at verse 11. Or let's read from verse 10. Okay, let's read from verse, verse 8. It says, Again a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Look at verse 8. He says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Do you see this? The person who says he hates his brother is in darkness until now. Let's read on 10. He says, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is no occasion of stumbling in him. 11. He says, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Do you see this? He says, He that, he that um, um, hates his brother that person is in darkness. It means that person is blind. So love is, is so strong that is a litmus test for the believer. It's, it's so strong that is a litmus test for the believer. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Matthew 5, 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they rememberest your and you remember that your brother has anything against you. Jesus said, Leave it there. Go and go and forgive your brother. Go and make up with your brother. Come back and then offer your sacrifice. Do you see? What this basically lets us understand, of course, if you read the epistles, you get to understand that giving materially for the cause of the gospel to ministers and then to ministries. Okay? Giving for the cause of the gospel, giving to ministers and giving to ministries uh, is worship to God. However, God is more interested in the man than he's interested in his gift. God is more interested in the man than he's interested in his gift. So, child of God, before you, like Matthew 5, 23, when you remember that you have something against your brother, go and what? If you have something to offer, even if it's a mighty seed, a seed of $4 million, you know, that kind of seed that once it hits your phone, your phone will stop being a phone and become a power bank once the alert enters, you know, and all those beautiful things. Once it hits you like this, it will be like the power of God. And all. It says even if you want to give it, calm down first. Go and forgive your brother that you have something against. Come back and then give it. A lot of believers don't understand the love of God. A lot of believers don't walk in the love of God because they've known God as a vampire. They've known him as he who recompenses tribulation to them that trouble you. They don't know that verse has a context. It is for unbelievers who don't believe in the gospel. They've known God as a God who visits vengeance upon the sins of the father upon the son to the third and the fourth generation. They've known God as a God who, who, who destroys enemies. They've known God as the God who sits on the shrines of their father's house. They know God as a warrior. They know God as Jehovah Machete, the one who slaughters the wicked. That's who they know God as. So the only one they know how to demonstrate, or what they demonstrate is the is wickedness. 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 Child of God, you walk in love. The bad Jesus said, Love them that hate you. Ah. 
He said, pray for them who despitefully use you. A lot of people don't even understand that, you know, I've seen a lot of pettiness and they say things like, you know, pray for them who despitefully use you. You see, Jesus did not give you the prayer point. You are the one that is going to add the prayer point. Whatever you pray for them goes, ah, 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 ah. What do you mean? Jesus clearly said that. He said, love them that hate you. Pray for them who despitefully use you. Love them. Child of God, can I tell you something? Jesus let us understand. He said, if you, if you love those who love you, how are you different from the Pharisees? You don't just love those who love you. Can I tell you something? Social media is not just for peppering your haters. If you are a child of God, you also love your haters. You love your haters. You love your haters. You love them who love you. You love them who hate you. You love your haters. Praise Jesus. You love your haters. You love your haters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You love your haters. That's what the Bible lets us basically understand. Okay? So, love is a litmus test for the believer. Love is strong. It's a litmus test. I hope you're not just getting excited with the jokes and cracking and all those things. You are examining yourself. Do I have ought against anybody? Tonight, settle it. Tonight. Tonight, settle it. Tonight, settle it. Praise Jesus. Tonight, if you have, any, if you have anything against anybody... Tonight, certainly, Jesus gave us Jesus gave us a pattern in uh, Matthew chapter eighteen. He said, "If your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately." He said, "If he does not hear, carry two, carry you know, just read about Matthew chapter eighteen verse fifteen. Our time is already far gone." He now said, "If he does not also hear, bring him in front of the church. If he does not listen, then he's not a brother." So, if anybody has ought against you, child of God, forgive. Jesus said, "This command I give to you that you love, you have to walk in love." There is, can you say this to yourself? There is nothing too big that cannot be forgiven. Anytime you remember that somebody has offended you and you are thinking, I can never forgive you, remember what Christ has done for you. Remember. Remember. Remember what Christ has done for you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 2. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing, it means that you have to forbear, you have to hold. Listen, you will not be with people and they will not offend you. So the Bible says you forbear it in love. You forbear it in love. Child of God, can I tell you something? Love is, a, is so strong that it's a litmus test for the believer. If you're not walking in love, the Bible says you are in darkness. If you hate your brother, you are in darkness. You are in darkness. You are in darkness. If you hate your brother, you are in darkness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you. Lord, we are instructed by your word tonight. We are instructed by your word tonight. Lord, the word of God is going to, we ask that this word begins to chase us till, we, till it finds expression and expansion and it lays a strong foundation in our hearts. We choose to walk in love because we are products of love. It is what you have done. It is our response. We don't just love those that love us. We love those that hate us. We love those that hate us. Like Jesus said, we love those that hate us. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I'm just led to I'm just led to um read one more verse. Turn your Bible with me to the book of James. Turn your Bible to the book of James. James chapter 5. James 5. Are you there? It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. A lot of people don't understand that the context of this verse, when it says confess your faults one to another, is if somebody offends you, there is a brother. Don't carry it, don't tight it to your chest for God's sake. Don't tight it to your chest. Talk about it and let it go. Talk about it and let it go. 
Being in and um, walking in love is not stupid. Walking in love is being godly. Can I tell you something? Walking in love is not stupid. Walking in love is being godly. It is demonstrating that divine nature you have received in Christ. Walking in love to men might look foolish. But can I say it again? Walking in love is godly. Truly, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Because there are people who can offend you. But that forgiveness, it is only of God. He says, confess your fault one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. He's talking of relationships between saints. Not between you and God. Between saints. If I have any hurt against... Um, now, not hurt. O-U-G-A-T. I'm using the word Jesus used in Matthew 5. If I have anything against Afalakemi, I will not tight it to my chest like, 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 like a wheelbarrow pusher or uh, all these people that carry things. I will not do that. I will go. I will talk to her. I say, this thing you did, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. We will talk about it and the issue will die. The child of God walks in love. Let me say that again. The child of God walks in love. Let me say that for the last time. The child of God walks in love. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we give you praise. Tonight, if you have anything against somebody, go and talk to the person. Talk to the person. Say, this, this happened, but I let you go. If it is hard to forgive, pray for the person. Pray for that person. And in prayer, keep saying, I forgive you. It does not matter what you did. I forgive. Once you pray about it at least three times with hot tongues under your breath, the unforgiveness will lose its grip over you. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.